wonderfully, how beautifully this worship service is already preparing us for today's message. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you move within us and around us from beginning to end. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that even through the songs that we are singing today, you are, I believe, preparing us for the message we are about to hear from your word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, keep working in our hearts and in our minds, that we are prepared, that we are surrendered, that we are humble before you today, for you to speak to us, help us to understand what we hear, help us to listen, help us to apply, and by your power, help us to be changed today. Thank you. Lord, also right now as we are gathered here, there are some who are not able to be with us today because they are sick. Pastor Sifera and her daughter Grace are sick right now at their home. And we pray, oh God, that your mercy and your grace that we just sang about will be with them in their home. And that you will give them strength, that you'll comfort them, that you'll be near to them. Even Grace, as young as she is, help her to know right now your grace is upon her. Your hand is upon her. You will give them strength. They will overcome they will be well in Jesus' name. And also, Lord, for our sister Christine, who's in the hospital since Friday, Lord, we pray that in her hospital room, right there by her bedside, make your presence known to her, that you are with her and you do not leave, and that you will see her through her time of need, and you will bring her on the other side of this. She will be healed in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Be with them. Be with any of those who are sick today, even in our sanctuary. If we're not feeling well, if we're experiencing pain in any way, God, I pray that your presence will be made known powerfully in the strength that you give and in the healing that you give. Oh, how we trust in you and how much we need you today. God, we welcome you today. Speak to us and change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God and you may be seated. Amen. It's good to see all of you uh, here with us today. Today, as we look toward God's Word, of course, we're, we're still in Romans, and, and today we're actually going to finish chapter 5, uh, and I believe next week we'll, we'll begin that chapter 6. Chapter 5 is a great chapter uh, for many reasons, and I began chapter 5 by saying it's like we've reached this mountaintop of wonderful truth, but it still feels like we're on that mountaintop because chapter 5 is filled with such amazing things as all the book of Romans is. And, and today, I want to prepare you for what we're about to read because we're going to read a lot today, if that's all right with you. So we're going to be standing for a while today, if that's all right with you, because I want to read not only the rest of chapter 5 in Romans, but I want to give you the backstory, the, the sort of the, the backdrop to what we're reading today. So if you'll find in your Bibles, not only Romans chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 12 until verse 21, but before we read that, the background, we're going to look also at Genesis chapter 3, 
We could read the whole chapter, but we're just going to focus on verses 1 till about 7 or 8. All right, so if you'll find that, and as I'm looking around, I, I see a, a fellow Boule, I see a Texan, my citizen from America, Daniel Gable is actually visiting us once again. Uh, David had to, uh, Daniel had to come, amen, praise God. <laughs> Daniel had to come and take care of some business, and he had quite the journey. And I'm sure if you had the time, he could tell you all about it. But God finally brought him here safely, uh, securely. He has at least until tomorrow, right, Daniel, till you're leaving again already. But we're just so thankful. Sometimes when we say goodbye and we pray and send you off to your home country, we know that it's very possible we'll never see you again. But Daniel made it back to see us. That's how much he loves Indonesia. Amen. So I'm, I'm so thrilled that he came, uh, was able to be here at church. I got to meet with him on Friday. Uh, but before you leave today, would you please just say a hello to Daniel, give him a hug or a shake uh, of hands, and uh, let's just bless him today. Amen. And Daniel, we do bless you. God, we pray that your hand will always be upon Daniel and upon Paige, Penny, Eva, Carson. Thank you, God, for all that you did in their life here in Indonesia. And thank you for all that you continue to do in their lives. Teach Daniel, no matter where he is, no matter what he goes through, you are God. You are God. And the love that you have for him is like no other love. All his days are set. Help him, Lord, to trust in you every step of the way. Take care of his family and protect them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So now if you'll stand with me. We begin in Genesis chapter 3. That's it, Josephine, stretch out a little bit. This is going to take a while. There we go. All right. Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasing or pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, 
even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And praise God. You may be seated. Well, I love reading these verses, especially with the backdrop of it all. Every verse, if you just read it carefully, slowly, it is wonderful just to read it. And I pray that just by the hearing of God's Word today, there's faith growing in your heart even right now. Today's sermon is entitled, Two Kingdoms. And although we're not going to see those words, kingdoms, in these verses, it's just what I think of. Two kingdoms. Do you know, as we have read now through Romans up until now, today we're, we're sort of getting a collision between two things that Paul has concentrated on in Romans. From Romans chapter 1, verse 18, until chapter 3, verse 20, Paul has made it very clear. We are sinners, and we are under the wrath of God. There is judgment and there is condemnation. God looks upon the world and he sees all mankind and says there are none righteous, none who are good, none seek after me. That is one side. But then after that, Paul then begins to concentrate on the salvation of Jesus Christ. That Jesus paid for our sins. He has redeemed us. It says that by faith we are saved, we are justified, no longer condemned. We are forgiven of all of our sin. And the credit is not ours, but we boast in Jesus who did all the work of salvation on the cross. So in the first half of Romans, it's like Paul is talking about one kingdom. And then in the second half of what we have reached so far, he speaks of a second kingdom. We can call the first kingdom the kingdom of Adam, the kingdom of sin and death. But then Paul introduces us to a new kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, a kingdom of righteousness 
and everlasting life. And now at the end of chapter 5, these two kingdoms collide. And we learn something about them. And so we have on one side the first man, Adam, which we read about in Genesis. And then we have the second man, who is Jesus. And Paul's going to compare the two so that just in the same way that Adam, what he did affects so many people, in the same way Jesus, what he did affects so many people. And we're going to see exactly what that is today. In what we read today, there are a few key words, key phrases that are repeated. So as we read through it again, you'll find one man is repeated many times. One man, meaning Adam, and then one man, meaning Jesus. The word reign, R-E-I-G-N, is also in it. Because Paul is going to show that on one side, sin and death reign. Rule over those who are under Adam. But in the kingdom of Jesus, grace reigns over all who have faith. And then the third phrase is that wonderful one we ran into last week called much more. He repeats it again three times, much more. And oh, how we love those words. So with that, let's take a look at Paul's words as these two kingdoms collide. And we're going to see, number one, a crooked nature. Number two, a better way. And number three, a new master. Amen. So let's begin today. Number one, a crooked nature. It would help if I turned on my little clicker here. There it is. A crooked nature. Once again, in verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, Sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Adam's sin that we read about in Genesis chapter 3, eating of the tree which God told him not to eat, Adam's sin brought into the world the reign and the rule of sin. And when sin entered the world, death followed along with it. Every man dies. And when the Bible says man here, he's not talking about just the guys. Man means men and women. All mankind. Every man dies. Because all sinned, is what Paul says. And think about that for a moment. Because that's quite interesting. Paul says, again, he says, And death came through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. He's talking about in the day that Adam sinned, all men sinned. What does that mean? There's a lot of conversation and discussion about that phrase and what this actually means. Let me just mention to you two things about this. What does it mean that Paul is talking about when Adam sinned, we all sinned? What does that mean? Well, first of all, all you have to do is look out into the world. Wives, just look at your husbands. Husbands, just look at your wives. Kids, look at your parents. And everybody, look at yourself. What do we know about people? We're sinners. We're sinners. Just like Paul said, 
in chapter 3? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. Why? Because it's who we are. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That's what we are. It's who we are. It's what we do. We all sin. But something else is being mentioned here. It's not just, yes, when we live our life, we sin. That's not all Paul is saying. There's something much deeper going on. Because he's saying that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. How can that be? Well, do you know that in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, for example, who was, which was probably a sermon by Paul, Paul mentions Abraham in connection with the priesthood in Israel. Now, do you know that Abraham had a son named Isaac? Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons who, came to, who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those 12 sons was named Levi. And God ordained that out of the families of Levi, that's where the priesthood would come from. So when you read about Moses and you read about Aaron, they were from the family of Levi. That's why they were in charge of the tabernacle and all the ministries that were involved there. Well, in the book of Hebrews... Paul mentions how, Mel, uh, how Abraham, a long, long time ago, paid a tithe to a priest named Melchizedek. And when Abraham paid that tithe, there was no Isaac, there was no Jacob, there were no 12 sons, there was no Levi. It was just Abraham and Sarah. But Paul says, when Abraham paid that tithe to Melchizedek, Levi also paid his tithes. Wait a minute. Levi wasn't there. Levi is still many, many years away. So how could Levi pay the tithe with Abraham to Melchizedek? Because Paul makes it a point that genetically speaking, Levi was already in Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons, they were already genetically speaking in Abraham. So when Abraham paid that tithe, so did Levi, who would come many years later. In that same principle, when Adam sinned, genetically speaking, we were all in Adam. Do you know we all come from Adam? Do you know in today's world that wants to make compartments of people depending on what color you are? Do you know that? And these people say that I'm white. Put a sheet of paper, a white sheet of paper next to me. I'm not white. I'm a shade of brown. And so are all of you. We're all just different shades of brown from light to dark. There is no separate races of people. If people believed the Bible, they would know that we are all brothers and sisters. Because we all come from the same man, Adam. If people trusted in God's word, it would end racism. Amen. But what Adam did affected all of us. When Adam sinned, we all sinned because we were in Adam. That's what it means that we all sin. Either way you look at it, whether it's, no, I mean, if you just look at somebody, they're a sinner. 
They sin all the time. That's true. Or if you look at it as even before we were born, we were already going to be born into sin because of the nature of Adam. Either way you look at it, here's the truth. It is our nature to sin. And we don't even have to learn how to sin. We do it naturally. We desire it naturally. Every man, every woman does. That is our nature. It's who we are. It's what we do. When Adam sinned, there were two kinds of death that took place. First was spiritual death. The moment they sinned, their eyes were open to their own nakedness. And they knew that they were guilty of sin. And at that moment, the spiritual life shut off. And ever since then, everybody who is born into this world is spiritually dead. And we'll see that in just a moment. But not only did their spiritual life die, but God said, you shall surely die. He wasn't just talking about spiritually. He meant physically as well. Now for Adam, he would live maybe another 900 years. But death came. And everybody who came after Adam, some lived long, some lived a short life, but all died. And all continue to die. Death has come into the world. Now when we read our verses today, Paul talks about three words that describe sin. There's the word sin, there's the word transgression, and there's also the word offense. All are talking about the same sort of thing, sinning against God, disobeying God. But all these words in the root of their meaning, they're all related to each other. Sin means to miss the mark. As though here's the target, you shoot an arrow and it completely misses the, the mark. Transgression and offense mean to be bent, to veer off, to wander off. And truthfully speaking, that's why we miss the mark. Because we are bent in our ways. We are crooked and we walk a bent path. This is exactly what Isaiah was talking about when he said, all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us, we just go our own way. And also, in Ephesians chapter 2, in fact, if you have a moment, turn to that with me. Let me just read you a few verses from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1 to verse 3. Listen to what Paul says. Spiritually speaking, he says, and, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And look at this. And were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. You see what Paul says there? By nature, the natural man, the natural woman is a child of wrath. Why? Because we're sinners. And we deserve judgment and condemnation and wrath. By nature, that's what we are. It is our nature to walk a crooked path. 
to wander away from the will of God. It's in all of us, and we've all done it. We have a crooked nature. Verse 13 and 14. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So in other words, what Adam had, not everybody else had. Adam heard the word of God, do not eat of that fruit. Adam heard that word and willfully disobeyed that commandment. But you know, when Moses came, God gave the law, the Ten Commandments, right? But from Adam until Moses, there were no Ten Commandments. There was no laws written in stone for God to say, look what you're doing. You are breaking the law. Look, I'm pointing it out to you. You're breaking the law. There was not that. God was not making it plain and simple by writing down the law. Nevertheless, Paul says, death reigned. Why? Because people were still transgressing against God. Do you know that even though God may not have spelled it out on tablets of stone, the Bible tells us many times that God has written them on our hearts to know what is right and to know what is wrong. And we do what is wrong. The Bible says that even though the law wasn't there yet, people were still sinners. Even in the days of Noah, long before Moses came, God looked upon the world and every man, all the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. People were still transgressors, even though there was no law. How do we know that? Because death reigned in them all. Sin came and death followed. And people died. Now the Bible says right here at that last phrase that Adam was a type, a pattern, a picture of him who was to come. In other words, Adam is a picture of Jesus who was to come. And what does that mean? Well, Paul's going to explain that through Adam, the one man, through Adam, sin and death reign over all who are connected to Adam by birth. That's all of you. That's all of us. We are all connected to Adam by birth. But then, the next man who comes, Jesus Christ, through Jesus, grace reigns over all who are connected to Jesus by faith. By faith. And so in Romans here, we've got these two kingdoms. One kingdom of sin and death and another kingdom of grace. We are all born into the first kingdom just by birth, just by being born. You are in Adam's kingdom of sin and death. But then Jesus comes and says, you must be born again. Born again into a new kingdom. Born again into Christ. Now before I go on, because we're in the topic of being born into sin. We are born sinners. A very common question 
especially when you become a parent. What about my children? I mean, if they're born into sin, that's what the Bible says. But are they saved? Can they be saved? If they don't know at the, year, at the age of one or two or three or four, if they don't even know what it means to be a, a sinner, if they don't even know how to comprehend that there's a Savior, that they need to trust in Him, what about those children? What happens to them when they die, especially still being a young child? What does God do? Let me answer that in a couple of ways. Number one, God is merciful. Amen? And if God chooses to be merciful, you know, He didn't have to save anybody at all. He could just let us keep being born into sin, being condemned and dying. Born, sinners, dying, born. And the pattern could just keep on going until we wipe ourselves out of existence. But God chose to show mercy in sending His Son. And if God can show mercy, if God is free to show mercy in that way, then who am I to say, God, you can't show mercy to children? No, God will have mercy on whom he pleases to have mercy. That's number one. Number two, look at Jesus in the Bible. Anytime children came, anytime parents brought their kids to Jesus, what did he do? He always gathered them to himself put his arms around them. He blessed them. And then he gave a commandment to all the people. Let all the little children, not just children, even little children, let all the little children come to me. I believe when that tragedy comes, when a child dies, an infant, a toddler, when that child dies, I believe that there is a merciful Savior who still gives the command, let the little children come to me. That's what I believe with all my heart. Nevertheless, the Bible gives us a command. Train your children. Train your children in the way they should go. Because at some point, a two-year-old is going to become a ten-year-old. And now they're figuring out all kinds of things. Now they can really understand many things about the gospel. The Bible says, train them. Don't just say, oh, they're kids. Don't worry about them. No, no, no. Train them. I have a niece right now who's got three kids. And even though the, the one is, I think, three years old, and there's another who's two years old, I always see these videos of these little girls praying, singing about Jesus. They're in church right now dancing and singing and clapping. They know Jesus somehow in their, that little age because God has commanded my niece, train them to know Jesus. Train your kids in the way they should go so that they don't depart from it. Well, what is the way that they are to go? That brings us to number two, a better way. Verse 15, but the free gift, I love that. The free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded to many. In other words, we have Adam who sinned. And through his sin, many died. And many still died. 
But then we have Jesus. And the Bible says much more. In other words, if, if Adam, a man like you and me, just like you and me, if that man can affect all mankind, oh, how much more can the Son of God affect those who believe in him? How much more can we find in Jesus? So in Adam, we've got sin and many died. But in Jesus, we have grace and the free gift given to many. What's the free gift? Because that's the first time Paul's really talking about Jesus as a gift, a free gift. What does that mean? Well, yes, when we think about Jesus giving his life for us, when we think about all that Jesus has done and the forgiveness of sins and justifying us, saving us, giving us eternal life, yes, all of that, that's all wrapped up in the great gift God has given to you. Later on in chapter 6, Paul says it like this, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. So when we talk about the free gift that God has given, ultimately we're talking about everlasting life. Adam brought us death. Jesus brings us life eternal. Verse 16, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. You know, the Bible does not teach that we're just walking along this world, walking on our own path as though we're like in this neutral middle ground area, and then suddenly at some point in life, we come to a fork in the road. And then we decide, do I want to follow the, the kingdom of Adam? Or do I want to follow in the kingdom of Jesus? The Bible does not teach that. There is no middle ground we are walking, and then one day we make a decision. That's not what it teaches. Instead, the message of Scripture is to get out. To get out of the way that leads to sin and death. And to get into the better way which God has provided. In other words, we're not walking a middle ground. We are already walking in the crooked path. We're already walking in the path of sin and judgment, condemnation, death, and destruction. That's already the path we're taking. And the message of Scripture is to get out of that path that's leading to death and get into the path that leads to life. So I'll ask you this. The question is not, which way do you want to take? That's not the right question. The right question is, how do you get out of the path of destruction and into the path of everlasting life? How do you do it? By faith in Jesus. In that moment, the Holy Spirit sort of transports you from the path that leads to condemnation onto the path that leads to everlasting life. When you believe, when you trust, when you trust in Jesus, you are now walking on the way of Christ, the better way. This past week on our Tuesday night connect group at David and Riska's house, we had a wonderful meeting. I think we had about eight people, maybe four couples that were there. It was such a wonderful time of just sharing with each other and going over scripture together and, and just fellowshipping. Wonderful time. 
And as I was reviewing the sermon from last week, in my mind, I wanted to lead everybody to saying, by faith. And so I, I was saying to everyone, now, how? You know, the, the Bible says that we are justified, that we're saved, we're forgiven, we have everlasting life, and all of this is by, and my word in my mind was faith. That's where I was trying to lead them to. Only I wasn't hearing faith. I was hearing other words, which were all correct. I mean, some said mercy. Another said kindness. Yes, that is all true. It's just in my mind, I, I want you to say faith. And then Frank, my brother, looked at me and he said, Jesus. And even though I'm trying to get them to faith, when I heard Frank, my brother, speak the name Jesus, it touched my heart. And ever since then, all the times that I think about it, I am so glad. I am so happy. Because it comes from a man who understands salvation is found in no other name but Jesus. And I thought to myself, even though faith is the answer I'm looking for, what can be better than Jesus? And I am thrilled that there are many others like Frank in this sanctuary that you have come to an understanding. Jesus makes all the difference. Without him, we have nothing. With him, we have everything, everything. And I'm thankful for that. Praise God. Paul says, the free gift. He calls Jesus the free gift, which came from many offenses. And I stumbled on that a little bit. I, I wasn't quite sure what that was saying. What do you mean the free gift came from many offenses and sins and trespasses? What does that mean? Well, for one thing, I think it means that, yes, over time, as sin grew, and many people walking in sin, walking in trespasses, people living in sin and dying, but yet out of all of that, Jesus comes and gives his life for us. Yeah, but I think there's something more to it. I think it's talking about a moment in time when the free gift was actually established. In other words, in verse 18, Paul says, from one man's offense, meaning Adam's sin in the garden, and then he mentions one man's righteous act, which is Jesus. But not righteous acts, singular, righteous act. What do you suppose is the one thing Jesus did that we could call the righteous act? Is it not the cross? Amen? And then in verse 19, he talks about Adam, one man's disobedience, eating that fruit, and comparing it to one man's obedience. Now we can say the entire life of Jesus was obedience to the Father. But if we were to sum up that obedience in one thing, what would we say? We would say like Paul does in the book of Philippians, that Jesus humbled himself and made himself obedient even to death on a cross. And in our verse that we read in verse 16, it talks about the one man's offense, that one moment of time when Adam sinned caused condemnation for us all 
And then he talks about the free gift that was given. I believe, as I read it, the free gift that was given is Jesus dying on the cross for us. And that in itself came out of many offenses. What do I mean by that? Well, it all started with the wickedness of men's hearts. The Jews who hated Jesus. And they always tried to find a way to kill him. Not just get rid of him, but kill him. Stone him. Whatever it took, they wanted him dead. And then it was his own disciple, Judas, who had it in his heart to actually betray Jesus. And then wicked men came and arrested him illegally. And then they brought him to the priest and they began to lie about him and give false testimony and false witness about Jesus. They condemned him illegally. And then they sent him to the Romans. And then the Romans beat him badly. They mocked him. They slapped him. They put a robe around him and said, Oh, hail, King of the Jews! They mocked him and they laughed at him and then they scourged him. The beating that he bore upon his back was the most brutal thing someone could do. Those whips had bones and metal in them. So it wasn't just to strike a man, it was to tear the flesh, to tear the muscle and even carve the bone itself. That's what they did to Jesus. And the law in the days of the Romans was they could whip a man like that 39 times. But that wasn't enough. They then took him to a cross and nailed him to it and crucified him. And then he died. Out of many offenses, the Bible says. Out of that betrayal, hatred, violence, wickedness. Out of all that offense came the free gift of God. Isn't that exactly what God does? God says, I make beauty out of ashes. I make something out of nothing. And when man did their absolute worst, God brought the most beautiful thing, the most precious gift ever given to mankind, the death and the life of his son, Jesus Christ. Out of many offenses, this free gift came to us. What a God we have. And so, really, all this happens around two trees. In the beginning, Adam sinned by eating from a tree God forbid him to eat from. And what he did at that tree affects all mankind after him until God dealt with it with a fatal blow at another tree. A tree that was cut down constructed into a wooden cross, and the Son of God was nailed to it. What happened and what began at one tree, God dealt with forever at another tree, the cross of Christ. And he has provided us a better way, the way of salvation. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Amen. Last, a new master. Verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, praise God, 
grace abounded much more. This is what God's law does so definitively. It reveals the wickedness in all of us. It shows us not only that we're sinners, but God's law shows us that our sin is worse than we thought. It reveals to us that we are even a worse of a sinner than we'd like to admit. Someone just said to me recently, he felt that he was good with God. He said, because I know the Ten Commandments. I said, wait, because you know the Ten Commandments, you're good with God? I don't think that's the purpose of the Ten Commandments. I said to him, let me just show you what I mean. Let's just take one. You shall not lie. Have you ever lied? Well, yeah. I said, yeah, that's the point. You're guilty. You're a sinner. You're condemned. You need to be saved. That's what the law does. It points to us our sin. It reveals to us we're a lot more dark than we thought we were. And when God gave the law into the world and men began to see just how sinful they were, just how far short they really do fall from God. When the sin, when the, when the law came into the world, sin abounded. It was much more revealed. It was made so much more evident. And people saw how horrible it is, how deep it runs, and how much it destroys. We are a guilty people. But then Paul says, but where sin abounded, yes, it's horrible. Yes, it's tragic. Yes, we are all sinners. But where sin abounded, guess what? Grace abounded much more. You cannot be so far from God that he can't save you. You cannot be so evil in your heart that God cannot reach into you and save your life. No matter how much of a sinner you are, the grace of God trumps that sin. Everyone can be saved. All who believe in God. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. People often ask me, especially when I'm in church, why do you sing? Why do you clap? Why do you lift your hands? Why do you cry during worship service? I'll tell you why. It's because of these words. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. I cry because I know how much of a sinner I am. I cry because I know how far from God I always was. But His grace has saved me. I understand that. That's why I clap. That's why I sing. That's why I preach. That's why I cry. That's why I shout to the name of Jesus because of all that He's done for me. That verse answers the question, can God love a sinner like me? Can God forgive my sins? Where sin abounded, grace abounded much, much more. And let's end it with this. Verse 21. So that as sin reigned and death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Before, before we met Jesus, sin was our ruler. Sin reigned. Sin was our master. And we followed so willingly to do whatever sin wanted us to do. 
We followed so willingly along that path that leads to destruction. But now, now, grace rules over us. Grace reigns through the righteousness of Jesus, through the everlasting life that he gives. We are now ruled by grace. Why? Because Jesus is now our master. No longer sin, but Jesus is the new master. And we follow him. That's why Paul now says, after calling him Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, all throughout our scripture today, he now calls him Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord means master. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. In the same way that nobody can walk two pathways, nobody can belong to two kingdoms, no one can serve two masters. Jesus says, you will hate the one and love the other. And so I ask you today, who's your master? Who's your master? This is what the Christian life is all about. It's about following after a new master along a better way. Not as the same old crooked nature, but as it were, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Gale, musicians, would you come? Praise God. In these two kingdoms, we find in the text today, there is a crooked nature. It's the nature of man. By nature, the Bible says, we are children of wrath, and we must be saved. And so God has provided a way, a better way, a way that doesn't lead to death and destruction, but a way that leads to everlasting life. And along that way, we follow a brand new master. His name is Jesus. And he says, walk with me. Follow me. Follow my commands. Amen? Amen. Can we all stand together? And as we sing today, let this be a song from you to the Lord. And let's all just begin to worship him for all of his goodness that he's shown to us.